Today, we will begin the moment you've all been waiting for. Enough talking. Moses is going to go to battle with Pharaoh. And so if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. Now, I might have oversold it a little bit because while Moses is now going to engage in this battle, this spiritual yet also physical battle between Moses and Pharaoh, God's school of spiritual battle uh, is not done yet. I mean, so far God has been teaching Moses a lot, hasn't he? He's been teaching him, Moses, I can use you no matter how ordinary you are, no matter how flawed you are, why? Because I am extraordinary, I am perfect, and I can do all these things through you. And Moses was learning uh, complete obedience. We remember the first time he approached Pharaoh, he did it with the wrong attitude, the wrong words, not what God had told him to do. But God has at this point lovingly set him straight. Today, in this school of spiritual battle, God is going to give Moses one final pep talk before uh, the battle begins. And what's awesome is we, as, as people who hold God's inspired word, we get to listen in in this school. And then we'll get to peer over Moses' shoulder as the battle begins. And, and I truly believe that if we engage with God's word today, these things that God is, is training Moses, he will train us. And it will make a gigantic difference, a massive difference in the way that we serve God and the way that we carry out our calling to the glory of God. So let's read together Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, the people, of, the people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against, against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. 
But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. That is God's word. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, I just want to thank you for your word. I think about Martin Luther, that song we just sang. He is a man who you used to fight for your word, that, that we might all hold it in our hands, that we might all read from it, that we might all study it. And so today, Lord, we believe that you will do amazing things through your word that you have preserved and provided for us. Paul wrote to Timothy that your word has the power to make us complete and equipped for every good work. God, would you do that, that completing, equipping work in our lives today? We trust and ask that you will in the name of Jesus, amen. So again, we have sort of a pep talk there before Moses engages in this first stage of the battle with Pharaoh. And again, I'm calling this the spiritual school of battle where God is training up his servant to war against these spiritual forces in the way that God wants him to. And I believe we can learn a lot from this. So the first thing I want to show you from this text that God is, is, is revealing to Moses in this spiritual school of battle is this. Moses really represented God. Moses really represented God. Now, Moses is about to go head to head with the most powerful human in the world at this time. I mean, he's, he's gonna go up against a guy who, who, who leads the, the, the strongest army, who believes himself to be a God, Everyone else, they, they believe he's God, Moses doesn't, but. And Moses is about to go up to him. So what is God gonna say to him to help him have that courage, to help him speak rightly, to help him to walk in obedience? We see this uh, mostly in verses one and two. I believe this is the main point that God is trying to convey <clears throat> to Moses. It says there, and the Lord said to Moses, See, that's like, behold, pay attention, Moses. See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. I underlined up there the fact that God says, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Now, Moses is not God. God did not turn him into a deity of some sort. The point is he has made him like God to Pharaoh. So in the eyes of Pharaoh, he might as well be talking to Yahweh God when he's talking to Moses. And so he, you have Moses is really, God says, really representing God before Pharaoh. And Aaron is now his prophet. It's an interesting thing that most likely Pharaoh was doing the same thing. 
He believed himself to be a God, almost as though to hear his words would be too precious. And so they would generally speak through a prophet. And so what we have here is, is at least from Pharaoh's point of view, that the battle has been leveled, the ground has been leveled. You have two gods, <laughs> Moses, who God has made like God to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh who believes himself to be God. Now, I was trying to think this week as I studied, why would God bother to tell this to Moses? I mean, God doesn't waste words. So in, in what way would this help Moses to fulfill the task God had given him? Well, why does he need to know this information? Well, upon some reflection and study, I came up with, with two answers that I think would have been very impactful for Moses in knowing that he really represented God. First, Moses really carried God's authority. Again, the, Moses isn't just talking to a peer. Moses isn't just, isn't just talking to some guy. He is confronting Pharaoh, the, the, the mightiest man, a, a leader of the mightiest empire, who believes himself to be the mightiest God. I mean, this would be intimidating on, on, on any terms. I mean, even if you don't believe he's really a God, this would be incredibly intimidating for Moses. He says, I'm really gonna confront him. You know, last time I did it, it didn't work out real well back in chapter five. And Moses really carried God's authority. I mean, let me explain it like this. Have you ever been intimidated to talk to someone about Jesus? Maybe they were just very impressive. Maybe they had a lot of uh, education, you know, letters after their name. Maybe uh, they're very rich. Maybe they're, you know, the, the leader of a company, a CEO or owner of a company or something. Maybe they're just a very popular person and you're intimidated. Oh, man, I could do it to a normal person, but them, it would be difficult to share the gospel with them. I, I can tell you right now that that, that happened, has happened to me plenty of times that I have been intimidated by that person sharing the gospel with them when I wouldn't always be intimidated. I, I actually remember um, God grabbed a hold of my heart while I was uh, working at a motorcycle shop at, at age 21. And so I decided that I was going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the owner of the motorcycle shop, my boss. Now, my owner was a very educated man. He was a rich man and he was United States Secret Service. I am not kidding. He's not anymore, so I think it's okay for me to say that. At the time, I was not allowed to say it. <laughs> and so you have me, a broke 21-year-old, going to Chat State, working at a motorcycle show. I mean, like, and I'm going to tell him the way he should live his life. And we're, we're not talking about a small thing. It's like, hey, die to yourself and live in Christ. Like, that's what I'm going to tell my Secret Service boss. You know what it was that, that gave me the, the, the boldness, the courage to talk to him? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20 spoke to me. It says there, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
okay? I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And I remember thinking, okay, this guy is very impressive, but you know what? I'm speaking for the infinitely more impressive God. God's not impressed with his education, his money, his secret service thing. I mean, and as intimidating as this guy was, I was speaking for the infinitely more powerful God, the God of the universe, the God who created this guy. I'm speaking for him. I really represented him. I carry God's authority. And so I share the gospel with him. He kind of laughed it off. You know, that's cute. But yeah, I mean, I kept at it for a while. I don't know exactly what that's done, but there's no one. Let me tell you, there's no one that you have to be so impressed with, so intimidated with that you cannot share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them that you can't even call sin, sin in their life as long as God calls it sin. We do not have to be intimidated because we carry the authority of God. And that's what God is teaching Moses. But I think there's a second lesson in this, in the fact that he really represents God. It's this, Pharaoh was really rejecting God. Moses is going to face some pretty severe rejection I mean, Pharaoh, let your entire workforce, this slave force, I think it was 600,000 men alone, let them go. He's going to have some pretty severe rejection. But here's the thing. I will make you like God to Pharaoh. And so that means that, that Moses is carrying the words of God, representing God. So when Pharaoh rejects him, he's actually rejecting God. And I think that this makes a big difference in, in our lives. Jesus, by the way, said, said the very same thing about us. Oops, I'd already gone there. Anyway. The one who hears you hears me. So the person who hears with the intent of responding rightly hears me, Jesus said. And the one who rejects you rejects me. I mean, this is, this is quite clear that we, we carry the authority of God. By the way, Jesus said that all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples. We carry the authority of God and so when we are rejected, carrying the message of God, they're really rejecting God. I, I think this makes a big difference because I, I think, you know, we, we want to be liked. We want to be <laughs> accepted. We want people, we want to please people. And so it's, it's hard on us as humans. It's hard on us when people reject us. But know this. When you are sharing the word of God as a true representative of God and someone rejects you for it, they mock you for it, they malign you for it, 
They're rejecting God, not necessarily you. And this really has made a difference for me. I've been able to stand firm to not back down knowing, you know what, whatever rejection comes my way, it's to God. I'm united to him. I'm his representative and I'll gladly bear it because I represent him. He's my good master. This has helped me to know that I represent God. And this is what God is training Moses in the school of spiritual battle. You really represent me. You carry my authority and Pharaoh is gonna be rejecting me, not necessarily you, Moses. This, again, I think is just super helpful when we think about our lives and we think about what we are doing. But God has more that he wants to teach Moses in this school. Next, he needs to learn that often God takes the difficult road to display his glory. So Moses, you're going to represent me, but we're going to take the difficult road to display my glory. Now, before I I read the the verses again from Exodus 7, I, I just think about the fact that often in our lives, God works in ways that may not be the way we were expecting or in our lack of wisdom, the way that we would hope for. I mean, I'll just be honest. There are plenty of things that God has done, the way he's allowed things to unfold that I say, that is not what I was hoping for. I mean, you think about it here with with Moses and Pharaoh. How could God have, you know, finished this battle? They're going to engage in this battle. God wants Israel released from Pharaoh. What could God have done? Well, I would say God could have made Pharaoh compliant. It happens in scripture that kings have their minds changed, their minds informed by God, and they do what God wants. In Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So think about it. God could let Moses walk in, say, let my people go. And God turn his heart in his hand and Pharaoh just be compliant. Okay, you guys can go. Another route, another option God could have taken is he could have poured out judgment on Pharaoh right then, right there. Pharaoh is a wicked man. He deserves judgment. By the way, we all deserve judgment, but God could have poured out judgment on him right there. He could have taken his breath away from him. He could have made his heart stop beating. I think about Acts 17, verse 25, it says that God gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So if God gives life and breath and everything, then God can take it away at any moment he desires. He is the just judge. He is the sovereign God of the universe. And so God could have made this a very quick fight. I mean, if he wanted to make it flashy, he could have done a lightning bolt. I don't know. God could have finished this fight before it even got started. Do you think that's what Moses hoped for? I would. (laughs) Quite honestly, I mean, that's what I would be hoping for. But God takes the difficult road to display his glory. Look at what God says he's actually going to do. Verses three and four, 
God says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. We think, stop. God, wait a minute. You're sending me here. You're, you're, you're having me represent you. And, and you, could, you could turn his heart. You could make him dead. But you're going to harden his heart so that he will not listen to me? I mean, you're going to do these signs. You're going to multiply your signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Yet you're going to make it so that he won't listen? God in essence, is dragging out this battle. He's going to make it much more difficult than it has to be if you're God. Now, I want to be very clear here uh, about this, this hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Let me just ask you, did God make Pharaoh evil? No. Pharaoh has been evil from the beginning of the story. We've seen he's afflicting Israel. He's rejecting Moses' demands. I don't know Yahweh, he says. Who is Yahweh? I mean, this guy is already evil. Is God tempting him to evil? No, he's not. All it says is God hardens his heart. What's the opposite of hardening? Would be softening, making compliant, making pliable. God is hardening his heart, which means he is setting him in his ways. Pharaoh is headed a direction and God is setting him in that direction, the direction he is already willfully going. But here's here's the reason that God hardens his heart. God is going to multiply his signs and wonders in Egypt. Any rational human should have let Israel go. (laughs) In that moment, any rational human would say, Okay, things are getting a little crazy. The serpent thing was nuts. But then after that, these plagues, like, okay, there's something's going on here. And a rational human would have let Israel go. But God says, I'm actually not going to let Pharaoh off that easy. Remember, Pharaoh deserves justice. God's not making him do evil. God's not tempting him to do evil. He is letting him stay in his foolish evil. Why would God do such a thing? Why would God prolong the battle? Why would God take the difficult road when the easy road is an option for God? The answer is given in the rest of verse four and five. I love this. God says, then, after Pharaoh rejects you, then, I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Do you see the logic of those those two verses? It's beautiful. God says, I'm going to allow Pharaoh to remain in his hard, ignorant, foolish ways. And when he does that, I am going to unleash, what's he say there? Great acts of judgment. We know these as the 10 plagues. We know these, uh, this as the, the parting of the Red Sea. This is great acts of judgment that God is going to do. 
And if you think about it, God wouldn't have had the opportunity to display these wonders, to display his might if Pharaoh simply let them go. It is a more difficult road, yes, but it is a more glorious road. But in addition to that, God just displaying his glory, look what the result will be. Verse five up there, the second underlined portion. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Do you see that? Not only Israel will see the glory of God, but even the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. They will know that I am who I am. They will know that I am power, that I am existence, that I am all goodness. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. When? When I stretch out my hand. That's why God is taking the more difficult road because he wants to stretch out his mighty hand for all to see. And how does that go? We'll get there later in our study, but Exodus 12 verse 38 says this, when, when Israel is departing, a mixed multitude also went up with them, with Israel and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. But the mixed multitude, that's the important part. You have Israel leaves, they, they are able to, to leave Egypt, but there's a mixed multitude. Some of the Egyptians have joined with the Israelites. Why? Because God displayed his mighty hand. These Egyptians are turning their back on Egypt, the greatest empire in the world. They are joining forces with the enemies of Egypt. They're leaving the most wealthy nation in the world to go wander around with a band of slaves. They're turning from their pantheon of gods that they worshiped to the one true God, Yahweh. God showed his mighty hand. God did wonders. He multiplied them. God showed this. How? By taking the more difficult road. I think this is just, again, so important for our lives because often we're going to be trying to serve God. And not only will things not go as well as we'd like, sometimes things will actually get worse. Sometimes we'll face new opposition, new barriers to sharing the gospel. Um, I, I remember again, um, in my, my earlier Christian years, I had my group of friends that we were all idiots together, but God grabbed a hold of me. And so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna help out my idiot friends. <laughs> and so I'm, I was so badly one of these guys to know and love Jesus. I so badly wanted them to have the joy that I had in Jesus. And so I was always trying to share the gospel with them. And I remember something happened. At one point, they started to meet new people. They started to meet these new cool friends. I know I sound old by saying that, but these were cool guys. They looked cool. They had, you know, the right hair, the right tattoos. They listened to the right music. They said the right things. They did the right things. And so there was a certain allure to following these new cool friends. The problem was these new cool friends were way worse even than my friends. They were doing a lot of really bad things. And so 
my friends who I'm trying to share the gospel with faithfully, just every opportunity I get over there, tell them about Jesus, tell them about how much he loves them, how much he wants to change them. Then comes this distraction of these new cool friends. And I remember being so frustrated by this. Say, God, why couldn't you let me be their only friend? (laughs) No, I mean, I really do. I'd say, God, do you not want my friends saved? Why would you let this happen? Well, I'll just go ahead and tell you how the, the story ended. After a while, my friends, you know, who were doing these even worse things with these new friends, after a while, they began to see the bankruptcy, the emptiness, the futility of following these sinful ways. They began to see that doing terrible things often has terrible consequences. And they were feeling the weight of that. They were feeling the darkness of that. And so it was interesting that by them going even deeper into sin, being immersed with these sinful people, it actually made them want to listen to me because they're they're miserable. And they say, man, Jeff over there, the goody two-shoes. I wasn't a goody two-shoes, but that's how they viewed me by comparison. Jeff is the goody two-shoes and he's just happy. He's got joy. He's got something different. And now all of a sudden they're happy to hear. They're telling me their struggles. They're saying, man, where does Jesus come in on all this? Okay, so that's, that's not the end of the story. That's just kind of one step. So my friends, some of them accept Jesus in that time and their lives are changed And guess what they do? They start sharing the gospel with these new cool friends. (laughs) And and some of the worst of these friends trusted in Jesus. I did not see that coming. That wasn't in my playbook, but it was in God's. God took the difficult road to display his glory. It was confusing, it was hard. But God was doing something. God's wisdom made me look foolish. And I'm okay with that. (laughs) But in that moment, it would have been nice that I realized, man, you know, when difficulty arises, when I'm trying to serve God, God's doing something. It would have been nice if I had realized that difficulty is really God preparing to display his glory I didn't know that, and so it caused me a great deal of anxiety, but now I do. Now now when these issues, these barriers arise, more opposition, I say, all right, God, you're up to something. I'm just going to keep at it. I'm going to stay faithful. That's what we got to do. And I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch for your glory. And this is what God is preparing Moses to do. I will harden his heart but I will display my glory and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. But there is one final lesson that we need to learn from this passage. By the way, God frames this first battle. We're done with the pep talk now, okay? By the way, God frames this battle. It's quite clear that God isn't just doing miracles. God is sending a message. What God is doing is number three, God is making it clear that he is greater. 
So uh, what I'm alluding to here is verses uh, 8 through 13. God sends Moses and Aaron once again to Pharaoh. And God says, when, when Pharaoh says, prove yourselves, have Aaron throw down his staff, it will become a serpent. And so this happens. They, they go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh must evidently said, prove yourselves because, Moses, because Aaron throws down his staff, it turns into a serpent. Pharaoh gets his wise men, his magicians, his sorcerers, those who are accustomed to the cultic arts, and they do the same thing. They replicate the miracle. Now, I gotta be honest with you, I don't know if they had a cardboard staff with a snake hidden inside of it. I don't know. It's very possible that Satan was empowering them to do this. The Bible doesn't say if this was a true miracle. By the way, in Revelation, it talks about that there will be some very real miracles performed by evil power. And so that could be going on here. But either way, how does that one end? Well, Aaron's serpent swallows up the serpent of Pharaoh's magicians. You say, okay, so they, their snakes fought and Aaron's won. What's so significant about that? <laughs> well, what we need to understand is the idea of a serpent, okay? There are two very significant things to this, the fact that God had him throw down his staff and it became a serpent. First, what did Pharaoh use as a sign of his power and deity? Picture Pharaoh in your mind, okay? Like a, a picture, uh, you know, uh, what are they called? The thing where they're dead in it. <laughs> Anyways, picture it. And what is on his head? This headdress. And the, the sides are flared out like what? A cobra. That, by the way, is the, a better translation of this serpent. It, it's a venomous snake. There, there's another word for snake. It's this most feared type of, of snake, this cobra. And then picture Pharaoh again, and he's holding his staff. What's on the end of that staff there? What's on the top? It's the, the head of a serpent. So what we need to understand and what the, uh, Moses would have understood and what the Israelites would have understood and what Pharaoh would have understood is that the serpent was the sign, the symbol of Pharaoh's power. It was a sign of his deity. They think, okay, the cobra, this is this most fearsome of animals. Put you down quick. So this was the sign of Pharaoh's power and deity. And so I hope it's clear what, what's the significance between the, you know, Aaron's eating his? Our God is greater. That, that, that's what's clear here is Pharaoh, you believe you have all this power. You believe you're like the cobra, the most fearsome, but our God is greater. You make two or three or how many ever serpents? Yeah, this one will eat them all. God is greater. This was a very clear uh, a message to Pharaoh. Not only of that God is greater, but how things are going to end up for Pharaoh. Going to swallow him up. This was a very clear message. God is greater. But there is another level to this symbolism. What's another time in the Bible that we see an evil opponent 
take the form of a serpent. It would be in the Garden of Eden, Genesis. Do I still have that? Oh, there we go. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And, and mo I assume you know what happens here. Satan is tempting our first fathers, Adam and Eve, and they disobey God. God takes the ones who are made in the image of God and he tempts them to rebel against God. This is the serpent striking, if you will, striking against God. This is Satan. So knowing this other famous serpent, Satan from Genesis 3, what is the message, the even greater, deeper message that God is showing by swallowing up Pharaoh's serpents? Isn't it clear? I am greater than Satan. I am greater than any sin Satan might tempt you into. I'm greater than his power. I'm greater than anything he can give you. I'm greater than any allure he has. God is greater. And by the way, God will swallow up, if you will, Satan in the end. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. God is greater. And I'm not just talking about more powerful. He is infinitely more powerful. It was uh, in the mighty fortresses, mighty fortresses our God, it said with a little word, God will get rid of him. I don't remember the exact wording there. God is more powerful. But what I want to remind you of is this as well. God is more desirable as well. Egypt is rich. Egypt is a place of pleasure, sinful pleasure, the things that they, they did there. And God is saying, I am greater than all of it. So let me just give you just some pastoral advice. When you engage in spiritual battle of any sort, look to the God who is greater. What do I mean? Okay, you're, you're faced with some sort of temptation. Look to the God who is greater. The pleasures of God are greater than any fleeting pleasures of sin. We got to know that. That's how we got to fight this. It's a value war. We either value sin and the, the, this little fleeting enjoyment that brings so much destruction and death in our lives, or we value God who gives us deep joy, deep hope, lasting, enduring, because He is greater. He is glorious. That is how we win the battle against pride and greed and lust and hatred and anything else. We fight by looking to the superior pleasure of God. Another time we engage in spiritual battle would be when you share the gospel. I haven't known too many people that truly trusted in Christ Jesus because they learned that sin was bad. Like, I mean, it's true. 
sin is bad, but is that actually going to make someone say, oh, I want the blood of Jesus to cleanse me of all sin? Like, no, they, they just don't want to go to hell. And, and that, that's not really what salvation is about. So again, when we think about this, what we're, when we're fighting this battle, fight for souls of other people with the God who is greater. Fight for their soul, trusting in Jesus, but by telling them, yes, your sin is bad and it separates you from God and it will put you in eternity in hell, but God is so great, so gracious, so loving that he sent his son to die in your place for your sin. And not only do you get heaven, you get God. This is the God who is glorious beyond compare. He is desirable above anything else in creation. Remember, he created everything in creation. Is not the creator better than the things he created? The pleasures of God are greater than any pleasures we could experience. Again, God created the ability for you to have pleasure. Surely, he gives greater pleasure than any created thing. We tell them about this infinitely wondrous, amazing God who loves them, sent his son to die for them, and wants to give them himself. That is how we win the battle for other people's souls. That is how we draw them to God, is not just to tell them how sinful they are, how bad they are, but to tell them how great God is. Our God is greater than their sin. Our God is greater than any idols they worship. And they need to know that. Make sure that we're giving the full gospel, not just the sin, but the Savior, that we get Him, we get God, and He is greater than it all. By the way, tying this back into Exodus 7, that's what the people of Egypt saw, and that's what drew them. The ones who, the mixed multitude, the ones who joined Israel, turned their back on the riches, the sin, the idols of Egypt, they saw the greater glory of God and they turned their back on it all. That's what we need to share with others. That's what we need to preach to our own hearts as we struggle with sin. Let's ask God to do that now. Father God, you've taught us so much in this short passage. You've taught us that we really represent you when we go to serve you. What an amazing idea that you have made us your ambassadors, that we carry your authority. And we even carry the shield that, that when people reject us, they're, they're actually just rejecting you. God, thank you for reminding of those realities. Give us the boldness to be your ambassadors, to be your representatives without reservation. And God, you've shown us that you often take the difficult road but you do it to display your greater glory. God, whatever roadblocks we find to sharing you, whatever obstacles come in our path, whatever opposition we face, help us not to be disillusioned by those things, but be, to be looking for you to display your glory. Help us to trust you in the time between. Help us to trust you 
as we wade through the opposition. Because we want to see you glorified to the maximum so we trust your wisdom. And God, we want to declare both to our hearts and to those who do not yet know you, who have not yet trusted you, that you are greater. There is nothing else that compares to your glory. God, help us to take hold of that and help us to share that. People need to know. Lord, I pray that you would do it through us for your glory, for our joy, in the good of others, I pray. Amen.